Hello, and welcome back to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. I'm Mr. Savin, and I'm excited to be here for another episode of the pod. Today, we're continuing with a format that we're calling, What Will You Do? Teachers in Unit 7 and above may know that language from the chant, Yes, I Will, where students learn how to say what they will or won't do. What we will do today is turn the mic towards you, the listeners. Our goal, to give you a chance to consider what you would do in a couple of different classroom situations. Now, there may not be one right answer, but I really want you to put yourself out there and in the comfort of your local grocery store aisle, answer as though I'm right there with you. Don't worry about making any mistakes. In fact, I'm sure you'll produce something good. So when the time comes, I'll leave a little space for you to speak. And if you need more time, just pause this recording. When you're done, I'll tell you what I would do and we can take heart in our similarities and fruitfully debate our differences. So, dear listeners, let us begin. You've been around for some time now, and very astutely you've begun to detect a pattern. Right around this time of year, every year, the weather seems to get dreadfully cold. You arrive at school bundled up like a bouquet of flowers, only to see your students running around outside in short-sleeved shirts and shorts, cheeks red, breath leaving trails in the air, they play a game that you can't quite figure out the rules of. They're a good group of kids and they're almost all the same age. You do have one student that's a year older than the others, but you never really thought much of it. When class begins, you launch into your lesson right on time. You've just recently started this unit and students are still absorbing the language. That said, this unit builds on the previous unit, so there's already quite a lot of language that students are familiar with. One word that stands out for this unit is friend. But students have been hearing that word since the very first unit of Grapeseed. As they advance through the units, they'll have a more and more nuanced understanding of what that means to American English speakers. But for today, you notice a troubling trend. Students are doing an action activity where they're supposed to give something to a friend. You've given them all erasers to pass around, but it seems like one student is being left out. And it's the older student. The rest of the students are passing their erasers around amongst themselves. With your powers of observation, how did you not notice sooner? Even having noticed, what is going on? Did the older student do something to upset the younger students? Or are the younger students just being mean? This group of kids is so nice, you don't think that's the case, but what else could it be? So, dear listeners, I ask you this. What will you do? That seems perfectly reasonable to me. Initially, what I would do is avoid singling out either the student being left out or any of the students leaving them out. Without drawing too much attention to the behavior, I would get students to stand in a circle and have them hand the eraser to the person next to them. We can work our way up to more freedom in who they pass the eraser to once we get to the bottom of this. After that, my first thought is to figure out what's really going on here. That means that I'm going to speak to other teachers in the school and see if they've noticed anything. Maybe they know something about these students' dynamic, or perhaps there's some change in a student's home life that could have led to what right now appears to be bullying. If it turns out that there is some issue there, then I'd speak to my management about setting up time to speak to their parents and discuss how we can approach it as a team. So that's how I would approach it from a big picture perspective. But on a smaller scale, I can start making it a point to review our class rules at the start of class. 
my number one rule was always just being nice. If I was consistent about modeling to students what nice behavior was, then over time they would understand that being nice applies to a wide range of things, from sitting properly to not bothering friends or touching the teacher's materials. If I've made it a point to talk about these things, then during class, when I see a behavior like in this situation, I can say, please be nice and give your eraser to Kevin. That said, what if you talk to the other teachers or even reach out to parents and there are no strange dynamics or issues at home? What if there is no bullying? Then the root of the problem must be in how the students are understanding the language. These types of issues are really hard to diagnose, but here's what we know so far. The student that was being left out was a year older than the other students. The action activity told them to give it to a friend. Based on the interaction and assuming that the kids weren't just being mean, we might come to the conclusion that they didn't consider the older student within the definition of friend. The missing piece here is where this misconception could have come from. Now this may sound far-fetched, but I've actually seen a very similar situation in my time as a coach. That situation being when students brought their own home language idea of what friend means into the English classroom. Some of you may have already guessed what language I'm talking about, but it's Korean. I've double-checked with some of my lovely Korean colleagues, and generally speaking, the Korean word for friend only applies to someone who's the same age or status as you. This doesn't mean that Korean speakers don't have friends that are older or younger than them. It just means that they wouldn't refer to them with their equivalent word to friend, like we would in American English. In American English, the word friend can be used for someone young or old, but the rules of English don't apply to every language. Even amongst English speakers, there is disagreement on the meaning of words. A biscuit in America is a delicious, flaky, and savory part of a meal. In the United Kingdom, it's a sweet treat to have with tea. So the way words are used in a language are often a reflection of the culture and history of its speakers. If you'll humor me, I have one more example that's from a language that's near and dear to me. In Japanese, you don't open your umbrella. Instead, you hold it up. You can say the word open in Japanese, but you don't use that word here. Why is that? Well, from a quick search, it turns out that when umbrellas first entered Japan through China, they were made from oiled washi paper, in the shape of an umbrella but with no moving parts. You couldn't open or close them, so it would be perfectly reasonable to describe the act of using one as holding it up. Now, I'm no umbrella scholar, but if this is why Japanese uses hold up instead of open, then this bit of language has persisted for over a thousand years, even as umbrellas have changed. Sometimes that's just how languages work. So something we should all be aware of is that language teaching is also inevitably a lesson in culture. Now the challenge with our situation is coming to this realization. Naturally, learning your student's home language would be enormously helpful in figuring this out. I personally love learning languages and I encourage you all to start if you haven't already. But if you don't know enough, then you'll need to assume the best of your students and lean on your colleagues to get to the bottom of it. Once we do understand what's wrong, our next step is to broaden students' understanding of the word in question. For friend, I would approach this by giving students more and more examples of what kind of people can be friends. 
I would look through the components to find something that could go against the idea that friends are all the same age as you. Of course, I would stay within the units that students have already seen, but in the story The Dancing Pig, Farmer Brown is older than all the animals. Even so, they care about him like good friends would. I would point this out to the students and ask them about how old they think the animals are, then how old they think Farmer Brown is. I'd ask if they think the animals are friends with one another. I'd also ask if they think the animals are friends with Farmer Brown. They can answer how they will, and then I'll tell them my opinion. I could also talk about how the teachers at their school are friends despite being different ages. If I get permission from my school, I could even go so far as to bring in pictures of me and my friends. I could show them to students, talk about how old they all are, and how they are all my friends. Now, this kind of fix won't happen overnight. Instead, play the long game, and as you advance through the units, find opportunities to revisit this idea until it becomes second nature. Well, that situation gave us a lot to consider. Let's wrap it up by returning to the classroom and applying what we've learned. So after spacing out for a solid 20 seconds, you come to your senses and direct students to pass their erasers in a circle, ensuring that in the short term, no one is left out. You speak to the teachers and parents and find that there are no strange behaviors or issues outside of the classroom. Finally, when confiding in a coworker who speaks Korean better than you do, you realize that the issue was linguistic. And slowly, over the next few years, you reinforce the idea of using the word friend for people young and old. As the years go by, you delight in hearing the students' ability to speak improve by leaps and bounds. Above all, they sound so natural that you think they could pass as native English speakers. Midway through today's class, you have students transition back to their chairs and get out their readers. Basic readers start in Unit 11 and are a collection of mini-stories that give students a chance to decode words and read with fluency and expression. From Unit 16, they're called intermediate readers, and from Unit 20, they advance to being chapter books with a continuous story. Today, you're starting the intermediate readers. Following the lesson plan, you instruct students to read the first page together, and you read it after them so that they can hear the way you would read it. Students read the next page together and you shadow them again, and so on until the story is done. Partway through the story, you find that something feels a little off. You close your eyes and try to pinpoint what it is, and then it hits you. In the silence between words, you can see it. A clockwork whirring and clicking. The scent of oil and rust. That's it. You're surrounded by unenthusiastic robots that sound like this. You're already on the intermediate readers, so this must have been happening for some time now. Or maybe it's a more recent development? Either way, dear listeners, I ask you this. What will you do? Very well. I think we can both agree that this is another long-term problem that may not have effective short-term solutions. If we try to make a joke out of this, then we could end up raising students' affective filters. Sure, some of them might find that funny and change the way that they're reading, but that type of approach will only help students that already know how to read expressively. Right now, there's a good chance that some of your students can't tell that they're reading robotically at all. In order to fix this, first, we need to communicate to students how they should sound. For today's class, I would continue on as I was until we finished the story. 
If I hear any one student reading particularly nicely, then I would take a moment to praise them and just say, hey, Arnold is reading so nicely, and ask them to read it again so everyone can listen. Then I'd have students continue reading the story as we had been. Naturally, other students will also want your acknowledgement, so if some students improve within that class period, I would be consistent in acknowledging their efforts. Now you may be wondering, why not show them an example of bad expression or robotic reading? You could do that, and it might even be effective depending on the situation. But the thing to remember is that often showing students examples of the goal is more effective than telling them what not to do. After all, telling a student what not to do doesn't actually communicate what they should be doing. Just like telling a student that they're not sitting nicely doesn't actually tell them anything about what it means to sit nicely, I prefer to show students the right way of doing things without relying too much on negative examples that could be confusing. Moving forward, now that I know this is a challenge for students, I can adjust how I approach doing the reader or any shared reading activities. As we know, punctuation can provide hints as to how a text should be read. If I know a story is going to be tricky for students, then before we begin, we can walk through the story and I can point it out and remind them that because of an exclamation mark, for example, we want to read this like we're really happy. I could also ask students about how they think a certain character in the story is feeling and direct them to read it like they're feeling the same way as that character. Part of teaching readers is shadowing students, so they're already hearing how I would read it myself. That means that if we've been reading without good expression, then students may just be imitating our style. So if you're in this situation, try to step back and make sure you're reading with enough expression for students to understand and pick up on. If you're consistent and students still need a little support, you can always say, I want you to read just like me, okay? And then show them how it's done. To summarize, if you ever find yourself in a room full of robots, don't panic. Make a note of it, search for opportunities to praise expressive reading, and give students plenty of examples of how they should be reading. So, dear listeners, how did you do? Again, there's not one right answer, but I hope you are able to enjoy the process of considering a couple of situations and how you might react to them. In listening to my thought process, I hope you could also reflect on the way that you approach the problem and how there are many ways to go about doing the same thing. Let's just remember that so long as our goals are aligned, we'll all get to the same place eventually. Now, if it turns out that you had a much better approach to today's scenario than I did, then please let me know at mailcarrier at grapesy.com. If you do, I'll be sure to share your thoughts with the rest of our listeners on a future episode of the pod. Until next time, goodbye and good luck in the classroom. Everybody knows.